Readings taken from Revelation chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, he has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the words of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who'd given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Well, I think that's all very (laughs) self-explanatory. So, so happy days. Let's pray that God would give us wisdom. Father, we, we ask for wisdom as we reflect on your word. Thank you so much for the spiritual truths in this passage. Uh, Open the eyes of our hearts. Most of all, we want to see Jesus. Amen. Yeah, thank you, um, Fee, uh, and to Rob as well for leading us in prayer. Um, we've called this sermon series Rise and Shine as we reflect on the risen and the shining Lord Jesus. Uh, but it's also a call to us to wake up. You know, rise up and shine. Uh, wakey, wakey. <laughs> There's an origin uh, of that phrase among the military. You know, come on, uh, men, rise up. 
and, and shine your boots because you're in battle. And actually, we're in battle too, in spiritual battle. And uh, we're called to wake up. To wake up. So this passage has some interesting um, imagery in it. And, uh, you know, when you wake someone up, you, you, you might be waking them from a dream or a nightmare. This reads a bit like a nightmare, doesn't it? Um, it might also, if you're into the sort of fantasy stuff, whether, you know, I, was, I, was, I enjoyed the Lord of the Rings films, for example. I've never read the books, but this reads a bit like that kind of stuff. But is it fantasy? Or is it real? And there's something behind this that it's portraying a spiritual truth. Um, So there's a a woman portrayed, and the woman has uh, the sun on her head. Uh, She's clothed with the sun, rather. She has the moon under her feet, and she has the 12 stars on her head. And we're told that this woman is a sign. She's a symbol. She symbolizes something or someone. Everyone had been to see uh, Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat? You know that. And, and what he's saying, you know, I close my eyes. Anyone remember? <laughs> I auditioned, but I didn't, I didn't get the part. But, <laughs> but he, he sings that because he has a dream, doesn't he? And in his dream, Joseph sees, uh, sees the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowing down to him. And this represents his family. And his brothers get really cross. You're not gonna, we're not going to bow down to you. But of course, they end up doing that. Uh, and they are the family of Israel. They are the forefathers of Israel. So when we see a woman here, clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, crowned of 12 stars, there's a reminiscence, it's reminiscent rather, it's a reflection of God's people. This woman represents God's people, right? But this woman is pregnant. And she cries out in pain as she's about to give birth. Uh, When I was growing up, my mum would often tell the story of and I, I need to check which sister it was, two, my two older sisters. One of them, uh, this was the 1960s, so dad wasn't there, uh, whether he just didn't show up or um, it was, you know, you didn't if you're a husband. And there was a, but mum was there, and rather than being supported by the midwives, they just told her to shut up when she cried out in pain. It was not a good birth experience, right? Um, now, I know midwives generally are absolutely lovely, but that wasn't her experience. Um, well, there's a scene here where the woman is about to give birth and uh, there's a dragon about wanting to devour the child she's going to give birth to. Now, I don't know if some midwives are dragons, but that's not what you want, is it? Right? A dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. And what does it want to do? It wants to eat the baby when the baby comes out. Are you with me? So this is the the picture, this is the vision, but the dragon is also a sign, he's a symbol. And actually John in this uh, story is very clear who the dragon represents. The dragon represents the devil, Satan. He doesn't always spell out who represents what, but very clear, he's the, the devil or Satan, he's the ancient snake, he's the one who leads the whole world astray. And he particularly is focused on the baby to be born to this woman. He wants to destroy this child. 
I can't wait for Christmas. And I can't wait because I hope that we have a sort of unmarred by COVID opportunity to celebrate with the children, yeah? Love nativities. Uh, and we'll have, I hope, you know, like a crib type service or something. We'll do it with the toddler group as well. You know, and they can dress up. Sheep maybe, you know, angels and all the rest of it, shepherds. But we don't normally encourage them to dress up as a dragon. If you did, it might not be the most child-friendly thing to do. Dragon with seven heads and ten horns. But this is actually the nativity story in this passage. The woman is about to give birth to a male child who, we're told, will rule the nations with an iron scepter. Who is that? That's a reference to Psalm 2, and it's about the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? The Messiah is Jesus. So this is part, this is the nativity story, but this is the Revelation's version of the nativity story that we don't tend to tell at Christmas time. But actually, there was a terrible account. You may remember it. The wise men come to Herod. He says, oh, come back to me. But they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And then he gets really angry because they've been coming to look for the one born king of the Jews. He thinks, I'm the king of the Jews. He gets really angry. So what does he do? He slaughters all the boys under two years old in Bethlehem. That's not something we normally tell in our carol service, is it? But that's part of the Christmas story. And it, it's a representation of the devil's destructive power. This dragon wants to attack the son, the male child. But we're told that the child was snatched away and the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God. And then we're told that war broke out in heaven. You might think heaven's a peaceful place where we're all floating on a cl clouds, you know, playing harps. But war broke out in heaven. That sound weird? We prayed just now about the war in Ukraine. There is war on earth, but there is also a spiritual battle going on. War broke out in heaven. Who is it between? It's between the forces of good and the forces of evil. Now you might think, well, that's between God and the devil. But it's not. If you come back to that passage... It's actually between Michael and his angels and the devil and his angels. So the devil and his angels, that's demons. That's Satan and his demons. But Michael, he's one of the angels. He's like an archangel. He gets mentioned in the book of Daniel, gets referred to in the book of Jude. God doesn't even need to bother getting involved. It's not a battle between God and the devil. Why? Because God is so much greater than the devil. He doesn't need to. He just sends his angel, Michael, to deal with the, the devil. And the forces of heaven, the forces of the angels, are more powerful than the devil and the demons. Now, sometimes we feel like, oh, the devil's too much for me. God doesn't even need to fight the devil. He just sends his angel. Because we've got a big God and a small devil. And we're told here that the devil can't compete. He's not strong enough. So what happens? He's hurled down to the earth. I love that. 
I love that because we might think the devil hurls people around. He causes chaos. He does. But here he's hurled down. He's chucked out of heaven. Jesus himself said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, didn't he? Luke chapter 10, I think it is. Big God, small devil. But we're told also in this passage that the devil knows that his time is short, so he's angry. He's furious, and he does come to cause havoc. And there's a, but it's not forever, it's for a certain period of time. We're told here that the woman is, is, is looked after, and there's a certain time period mentioned in this passage. It's 1,260 days. Now, those of you who do the maths, that's roughly three and a half years. In the previous chapter, it talks about a period of 42 months. Again, do the maths, that's three and a half years. Later on in the passage that Fee read to us, it talks about a time, times, and half a time. If you take time to represent a year, so one year, time, times, two, two years, and half a year, and half a time, time, times, half a time, three and a half years. That comes from the book of Daniel. Now, we get hung up on all this sort of stuff in Revelation. My opinion, humble opinion, is we don't need to get hung up on it. All it means is it's a set period of time. It's not going to go on forever. It's not going to go on for all eternity that the world's going to get worse and worse and worse. Because God is going to step in. God is going to bring it to the end. But it represents, I believe, the time that we're in now. Christ has come, and we're waiting for Christ to return. And it ain't going to go on forever. And a loud voice cries out in heaven. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority authority of his Messiah. Now have come the salvation, the power, kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Messiah. Now. Through the act of Christ coming into the world and the, the period in which we now live, we inhabit this, now has come the kingdom. And we're told that the people who are part of this kingdom triumph over the devil. And that means you. And that means me. We triumph over evil. How do we do it? We do it three ways. The first way, we triumph over them, the devil and his angels, by the blood of the Lamb. First way. Book of Exodus. God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. The angel of death passed over God's people and struck the Egyptians. But as it passed over, God's people were told, sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it on your doorposts. And the angel of the death will pass over. The blood of the lamb protected them. The blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, protects us. That's why we take communion. That's why we identify with the sacrifice of Jesus. That's why we have a cross here. That's why at the heart of our faith is the cross. Because Jesus' death looked like defeat, but it was victory. 
That's the first thing. The second thing is this. We overcome by the word of our testimony. I was driving yesterday and uh, I saw, have you, you know, Kazoo, the uh, car supermarket? And they had one of their lorries. And on the lorry, it had uh, Kazoo. But it also had a testimonial from Trustpilot. It was just, this was not a celebrity. This was not um, the company themselves bigging themselves up. This was just Joe Bloggs from Trustpilot saying, yeah, I bought my car from them, great company. Or whatever it said, I can't remember. That was his testimony. And we live in a world today where people don't always trust what the experts say. <laughs> they don't necessarily uh, believe the celebrities who are advertising a product because, well, they're just being paid to do it. But they do trust Joe or Josephine blogs in the street. You know, do you ever, if you buy something on Amazon, you look at the reviews. And they say, well, this is total rubbish, don't buy it. Okay, I won't buy it. You know, actually, I've bought this product, I'm just like you, and it's good. That's a testimony. And it's powerful, because it's authentic. We did hear, we had, uh, the, uh, the men's breakfast, we're privileged, I hope you don't mind me saying John, we were privileged to hear John's testimony yesterday. It was powerful, because it was real. It was so authentic. He wasn't pretending to be someone else. He was like, I'm John, and this is what God's done for me. Sometimes we might look at some people who've got a Christian testimony that's like really, wow, amazing. I was a drug dealer, I was doing this, I was doing... And, uh, and now Jesus has transformed my life. Um, great for those people who have those kind of testimonies. You might say my testimony is a bit boring. You know, I was just a nice guy and then I'm still a nice guy, but Jesus is in my life. It's your story. It ain't boring. It's what God has done for you. It's what God is doing for you. Your testimony is now. And it's ongoing. People can say all sorts of things, but they can't take away your testimony. It's powerful. Your testimony overcomes the devil. Thank you, John, for sharing your testimony yesterday. Thank you for encouraging us in being honest and sharing our testimony about what God's done in our life. The third thing is this. They triumphed over the devil because they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Uh, as John is writing this letter, he's writing to those part who would be persecuted. And for some people, declaring their faith in Jesus means risking not just humiliation or whatever, but being thrown into prison and possibly even being killed. And that happens today, doesn't it? In July, we're going to hear from Henny and Werner. They're going to come and be with us again. And uh, they're going to talk about the persecuted church. And we need to continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church. Now, that doesn't generally happen in our country. But I want to ask you, and I'm asking myself this question, do I love Jesus more than I love my own life? They didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Do I love my popularity more than I love his presence? Do I love my comfort more than I love Christ? There's a challenge. Anyone feeling challenged by that? <laughs> Is it just me? <laughs> That's the third way to overcome the devil. 
Just say, Lord, Lord, you matter more to me than my life. And yet the devil is still accusing. We're told here that the devil is angry, his time is short, and he's still accusing. He is, this identifies who he is, he is the accuser of our brothers and sisters. And he accuses them before our God day and night. That's what he does. He loves to accuse you. Now, in the, church, in the countries where you're persecuted for your faith, the accusations may well come from the state. They might come from your neighbours, they might come from the police, they might come from you know, authorities. Doesn't generally happen for us. But accusations actually can come within the church. Um, anyone ever read The Message? Paraphrase of the Bible. Anyone remember that? Read that? It's blessed millions of people. And, uh, and yet, the guy who wrote it, Eugene Peterson, when he, when he came out with it, um, he would go somewhere and there were people with placards campaigning against him. He got lots of hate mail. People saying, you're distorting, I mean, this is in America, okay? But you're distorting the word of God and you're an abomination and all the rest of it. He got attacked by people who he thought was on his side. <laughs> he thought they were friends. He thought they were brothers and sisters, but he was being accused by them. Sometimes we do the devil's work for him when we accuse one another. It's too easy to be suspicious of one another, to be wary of each other. Does anybody want to say we don't want accusation in this church? We want to be free from accusation, free from fear, free from suspicion. Sometimes we do it to each other. The world doesn't need to. Or we accuse ourselves. We say, ah, oh, we condemn ourselves. I'm so rubbish. <laughs> Silly me. Be and we do that because we want to get there first. <laughs> We're expecting someone else is going to accuse us, but we want to get there first. Oh, no, I know I'm an idiot. We're doing the devil's work. Because you are an overcomer. You're not an idiot. You've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony, and he loves you. So do not accuse yourself. And don't accuse others. Now, sometimes there may be uh, the devil might have a leg to stand on if there's something where we actually just need to come back to God and we need to give it to God we need to repent we need to say sorry but the way the Holy Spirit works is he doesn't hang over us like a cloud wanting us to make us feel guilty the whole time he convicts us but he'll convict us of specific things he'll put his finger on one little thing you know what you need to say sorry to so and so uh, you need to ask forgiveness for this. But it's always specific. The devil doesn't do that. He'll just make you feel bad about yourself. 
He's the accuser. And he doesn't care whether it's true or not. He's the father of lies. So don't play the devil this game. You're an overcomer. You have victory. When you become a Christian, you receive the resources of heaven. You become adopted into an eternal family. You become a king or queen in the kingdom of Jesus. You become a priest in his temple. You become, your, your position is changed. You're sitting on a green chair right now. You're also seated in the heavenly realms. When you become a Christian, you become forgiven. You become acceptable to God. He puts his powerful and mighty spirit in you. God does all these incredible things for you. But you also become a target for the devil. Because we're told here that the devil didn't want to make war just on humanity in general. He went off to wage war against the rest of the woman's offspring, i.e. those who keep God's commands and hold fast to the testimony about Jesus. When you stand up for Jesus, when you're in Christ, you become a target for the devil. And he wants to accuse you. And he wants you to bring you down. Please stop buying into the devil's game. Yeah, because you are a glorious, glorious overcomer. So my sense is, God doesn't want us just to hear this. He wants us to know this. So I want to use this moment just to reject the spirit of accusation. You have no place here anymore. You have no place in our life. I want to take authority over shame. Jesus took your shame away. Don't hang your head in shame. We stand in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. Jesus has more authority than anybody else in heaven and on earth. His name is higher. And we have his authority. Amazing. God doesn't just want us to hear this and go away and forget it. He wants us to own it. See, the book of Revelation isn't Lord of the Rings, where you watch a film where you read the book. You're in it. You're in Revelation. You ever thought it'd be great to be in the Bible? You're in the Bible. This is you. This is me. You are the overcomer. You're the one who triumphs through the Lamb, through the word of your testimony, because you don't love your life so much. So, who wants to receive what God wants for them today?
Well, you've got to put your own hand up. You can't force that. <laughs> so I want what God wants. I, I, I'm hungry. I'm just hungry for God. And um, I'm sensing God moving in this church. Right? Anybody else sensing that? I know you are. And, and, and there's a momentum of the Holy Spirit, I believe. I, and I know he wants to meet with us in power. And he wants the word of God, not just to um, be in our memories, because although I think I heard something on Sunday, he wants us to live it. Because this is living an active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And this is who we are. This is who you are. It's truth. Spiritual truth. Might be a fantasy chapter <laughs> to read like it, but it's spiritual truth. So receive it. So let's, if you're able, please, would you stand with me? And um, Lord, we're just, uh, we're grateful for what you're saying, for what you're doing. Um, and we say, no more lies. No more fear, no more accusation, no more suspicion. I don't want to have to watch my back. Yeah. You're safe in the arms of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So just receive what God is doing now. He is speaking words of truth over you. It says here, rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. You dwell already in heaven. Rejoice. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. He's your Messiah. He's your Jesus. Just receive what he is doing. Lord, we bless what you're doing right now. We receive what you're doing. He is spirit and truth. Just receive what he's doing.